Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. My groovy bag right here. Shopping local lately, Joseph Beth, local bookstore. We always like local books. So I was at Joseph Beth with some friends a couple weeks ago. You know who you are. And I found a new book. I always like new books. And another friend here also introduced me to the fact that Madeline Langle, who you might know as the author of A Wrinkle in Time, also writes for adults. So that's pretty cool too. Actually, she said when people asked her about Wrinkle in Time, is it for children? Is it for adults? She's like, it's for people. People read. Anybody can read it. I didn't read Wrinkle in Time until I was an adult. But this book was uh, published just last year, so after she had already passed away. But her granddaughter, she has several, but Charlotte Jones Voikless, hopefully I'm saying her name right, she was going through her grandmother's things, and she found some different short stories. She was fascinated. She said some of them had grades on them, So they were turned in for credit at school. Some of them just were all these kind of drafts. One of them, she thought, did somebody hand this to my grandmother and ask her to review it? Because she's like, it was just wildly different from anything she had read by her grandmother before. And she said this. She came across one short story called Gilbert Must Play Bach. And the story was strange to me and sad. And although the girl and the story was named Claudine, I understood it to be autobiographical. The sadness of the story and its unresolvedness shook me and gave me a glimpse at the depth of things we might discover about the people we love. And I'm going to read a snippet because I like to read stories. Just, I love some description here. This one is called, While in the Moon the Long Road Lies. And it's about... A young woman leaving home for the first time. She's standing at the shore. She lived in the south along the ocean, and she's saying goodbye. So I'm going to read a little bit for you. Goodbye, Selena, she whispered, and watched the dim sand trickling through her toes. She bowed mockingly to her waiting shadow on the dune, introducing Miss Williams, instructress of history. And she thought incongruously of rolling sand dunes and heavy breaks, Sandpipers strutting up and down the beach every morning, and the sleek black of the porpoise's leap, and broken shells upon the beach after a storm. It's a long time till June, Peter had said. The narrow path on the ocean became broader and brighter as the moon climbed higher, growing smaller, more crooked. A long time till June. A long road to travel alone, thought Selina looking out over the white moon path to the horizon. Keep your horizon broad. So that's just a little peek into, into her language usage. And Charlotte went on to say there was all kinds of styles she found. There was satire, there's horror, there's science fiction, and there's human renewal. So those are all in these pieces. I've only read about four so far, so I'll let you know how it goes. But she says this, most of these stories resist a resolution 
and a tidy triumph for the protagonist. Taken as a whole, these stories express a yearning towards hope. Hope for intimacy, understanding, and wholeness. In moments of despair or seasons of doubt, that yearning and its depiction can feel more authentic and optimistic than the more neatly resolved narratives or stories with overtly happy endings. I don't know if you like your stories neat and tidy and happy ending. And I'll admit, I liked that for a long time. I still do. There's moments where I'm like, I got it. I need a happy one. But in the last decade, I've come to grow an appreciation for short stories. And most of them, like these, they don't, they don't resolve all the way. And there's not enough time to resolve everything. You pop in and you're suddenly like, who are these characters? What are they up to? What do they mean to one another? And you're trying to figure out and then you just leave again. And you're just sitting with the thoughts and wondering how to process it. We're in our journey of the redeemed. In this last chapter of our series, we're looking at stories Jesus told. And they're all very short. They're parables, which means they have a deeper spiritual meaning, heavenly meaning. But they're super short. We're jumping in. We're trying to figure out the lay of the land. And we're popping back out and sitting with it. Sitting with it. Not everything is resolved for all the characters that Jesus tells us about. But maybe, just like Charlotte said about her grandma, maybe these stories offer hope. We're going to be in Luke 18 today. There's two different parables, and we're going to jump right in, and I'll read for us just the first verses. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. All right, stopping right there. First, let's look at our setting of our story. The setting in this time in Jewish history, if someone committed a crime against you, they could have stolen something from you, they could have murdered your uncle, and you had to go to the judge yourself and bring up charges against that person. You didn't have police doing that for you. You did not have a lawyer doing this for you. It was you advocating for yourself. In Deuteronomy 16, God's people were told to appoint judges to judge disputes among the people. It says, appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town. They shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Follow justice and justice alone. And then again, in 24 of Deuteronomy, it says, Do not deprive the foreigner, the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Like these specifically were protected people groups spoken against, spoken for on behalf. Like God's saying, these are, you extra look out for these people. You do not prevent justice from happening to these vulnerable people groups in your community. So here... We read that the, this judge, he, number one, doesn't fear God. Number two, doesn't care about what other people think. So therefore, we're very concerned about the vulnerability of the widow in this situation. Is he 
living up to these standards of justice that were described in Deuteronomy. So now this moves us into our characters. We have two characters. And usually, because these are fast, right? These are quick little parables. We're in, we're out, we're looking for the meaning. But it's, let's sit in this for a minute. Let's look at this judge. Okay, he doesn't fear God. What does that mean? We know a lot of people that may not believe in God. But this was his job. And his whole basis of justice was supposed to be built on the same foundation as the people he was serving. He doesn't believe, Jesus says. That's how he describes him. So this gives us an indication that he does not feel accountable to a higher authority, to the words written in Deuteronomy. So that's negative number one. Now we're starting to see he's the villain in our story. Number two is he says he doesn't care what people think. And that becomes very frightening if we really think about it. It's one thing to be like, well, I don't believe in God. It's another thing to say, there's people right in front of me that I'm supposed to decide their cases. I'm supposed to bring about what's fair and what's right for them. But if I don't care about them, and I don't care what what my peers think, who is he accountable to? How can he judge fairly? He is supposed to bring about justice, but he has no compassion or focus on righteousness. Judgment without those two things. It's frightening. So then when we look at our other character, number two, a widow, no one's there to speak up for her. In this society, she has lost things and she is on her own. And do you see how courageous this is? It says the judge was known. He's known to not believe in God or care about people. And yet she has to go before him. That's courageous. And she doesn't just go once. And he says no. She returns. Have you ever been told no by someone in authority? Well, you can like be shaken. Or you can say, I know what's right. I need justice against my adversaries, he said. Again and again, day after day. Maybe she followed him around. Maybe when he woke up in the morning, she was right outside his window. We don't know. That sounds nagging. No, that's not nagging. That's brave. And if she doesn't speak up, who will? If she can't find justice today, what does her tomorrow look like? She uses her voice and speaks up. Let's see what happens. Verse 4 says, For some time the judge refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So the man admits he still doesn't care, but she's annoying him, so he's like, fine. I mean, have you ever made a decision like that? Anyone? Parents? Anyone? Okay. Um, so you're like, okay, that's one thing. But the, the words Jesus uses... In where we say it says she won't eventually come and attack me, the actual words Jesus used was a word you would say if someone was going to punch you in the eye and give you a black eye. That's it. That is the word. So this judge is saying he's scared that a widow is going to punch him and give him a black eye. I think Jesus is giving a little laughter here. We can laugh. We can, we can see this. But also maybe figuratively, maybe his disciples 
are getting the idea that this guy suddenly, maybe he starts to care about what other people think. Maybe he's caring about his reputation getting a black eye, and that suddenly maybe starts to matter what other people think. So I think that Jesus, in his creativity, just like we, we read specific language in this short story this morning, he's choosing his words to paint a vivid picture. So now we get to, we've got our setting, we've got our characters. What's the point? Well, I skipped a verse because I didn't want to spoil it. Um, we actually find out what the point of this is before we begin, but I wanted us to read it without pretext. So here, back in verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. So now do we see this widow in a different way, going before a judge but he's mean. So what does this mean about prayer? Jesus speaks to his dedicated followers, right? These are his key people who buy into his ministry, who he's trying to form into better people so that when he leaves this earth, they are in charge. They become the church. So what does he want them to look at? Verse six, and the Lord said to them, listen to what the unjust judge says. What does the judge say? The judge is annoyed. He doesn't believe in things. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus tells a story about somebody who doesn't care and he tries to show his disciples, because sometimes we have a, we today, imagine them too, have a frightening view of God. He's a creator, decider of things. There's been floods in the past. There's been fire come from heaven. This is the God we're approaching. So yeah, we're respectful, maybe a little fearful. But Jesus says, he's not like that judge. God chose us. means he, he created us with love, with intention, with purpose, to have a relationship with him. He's like, when you approach God, you're on a different foundation. God also has morals. He has compassion along with that justice. He has righteousness along with that justice. So he is going to look at the scene from a greater view in ways that we don't know. He's going to look at us. He's going to look at those we are accusing. And he's going, to, he's going to determine wisely. But Jesus wants to paint a picture that says you can go cry out honestly. You can be as courageous, courageous as this woman. And you can be honest. Like she said, things are not right. And we can look in our lives and we can look in the world and we can look and go to God and say, this doesn't look right. Jesus is like, you can go. We're allowed to be honest. And we're allowed to repeat the prayers. We're allowed to go before God day after day. And he says he will hear us. Now it says the word quickly, which is hard because, I mean, quickly is like, you know, a minute long TikTok, right? And then you're flipping forward. We get things instantly. I don't know that God's quickly is like our quickly. In fact, when Jesus talks about the kingdom coming, it's, the word is a little bit more about like suddenly or maybe unexpectedly. 
but he's sneaking up on you, right? So God's time frame isn't our time frame, but justice will come. It will come as he wants it and as he determines and he hears. The Hebrew people cried out for so many days when they were enslaved in Egypt. And when God's justice came, it came, right? Came upon. And Jesus says, that's the same God who cares about what you're praying about. Now, Jesus did say something else at the end there. He said, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So this whole time his disciples are like, yes, I'm looking at this story. I see what you're saying. I feel vulnerable. We are that woman who goes and seeks justice, right? But Jesus also kind of turns it around at the end and is like, hmm, will I find faith on earth? And then suddenly they're in the judge's perspective. Are you enacting the faith that you say you have? Are you living out justice? Are the widows in our community being cared for, Jesus is indicating? Will I find faith on the earth? So that's the shift. We have to step into two different characters' perspectives and ask in our own lives. Last week, we had two different parables about rich men, and we talked about what's in our control and what's out of our control. And here you think, like, when things are out of control, that's when I easily go to prayer, right? I can't do anything about it. I'm definitely giving it up to God. And Jesus says, yes, go do that, and you can trust him. But he's also like, what's in your control? Well, you can control how faithfully and justly you're acting in your day-to-day life. Okay. We're going to switch to a new parable. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I have. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's begin with our setting. So we have a temple. That's where they're going to pray, the temple in Jerusalem that we talked about, where Jesus is headed. It's where his destination is to head to the cross. Now we have to imagine we hear of two people here, but they're not the only ones. Like this is the temple. This is where people go. So you would have afternoon prayers, you would have evening prayers, you would have sacrifices. So picture like crowds, right? There's a lot of people, a lot of things going on at the temple. You've got some people praising God demonstrably, probably, demonstrably, probably like this Pharisee, hands raised, vocally praising God. And some people are very quiet. They're maybe bent low. They're in mourning, they're grieving. Some people are making sacrifices in order to redeem things that are lost in order to cover over the burdens and sin they carried. There's a lot going on. It's all worship, right? All within this. So that's our setting. And somehow in this scenario, the Pharisee notices another person amongst the crowd. Now let's look at the two characters. Recall our Pharisees. 
We have talked about the different people that Jesus interacts with and he talks about and he calls them out at times and he wants them to do better. And I describe them as spiritual influencers and we've had the different circles of people who interact with Jesus throughout the book of Luke. And this one is the Pharisees. So if you remember in our circle there, it says they love God's law, but they also like all the extra rules that make them extra, extra special to keep God's law and to make sure they don't go beyond it. And they also love Israel. They love Israel as a people. They want them to be free again, away from Roman rule. So that's the Pharisee. So of course he's proud, right? He's excited that he fasted twice a week. And that was not required in the law. That was those extra rules that the Pharisees would put in. So that's the praise that he's offering to God right here. Now the tax collectors of the day, I love another vivid uh, description of a tax collector by Professor Richard Benson. He says this, Had you lived in Galilee in Jesus' day, you would have hated him. The man works to squeeze money out of you and your neighbors so that the Romans can stay in control of your country. He gets rich while your friends and neighbors have to sell their farms to pay their tax bills. He's a leech. He's a traitor. He ought to burn in hell for what he has done to the poor. And he's got a lot of nerve coming up here to the temple to pray. That's quite the, the short story in itself, right? Those are the feelings that could be going on in the Pharisee when he looks over and sees this is the person choosing to come and pray to God. So this is our plot. It seems simple. We have someone who is a follower of God's law, a righteous person. And then we have that unrighteous person who's done all of these things to his neighbors. So we expect that their prayers are going to follow suit. But as we've seen in other times in Jesus' life, he has dined with tax collectors and Pharisees, but he seems to critique the Pharisees a little bit more. So maybe anyone hearing this story is going to already have like, aha, I know who the bad guy is here. The Pharisees' prayer begins as a barakah, a thanksgiving prayer, a prayer praising God. He says, God, I thank you, and usually follow that up with all the things that you've done. But he kind of turns it into something else. Rather than just praying up to God, he kind of like, Prays sideways. He looks around. He starts to compare himself. I'm glad I'm not like that or like that or like that. The tax collector didn't look at anyone. Didn't pay attention to the crowds. He just prayed. Didn't even look up to heaven. Didn't feel worthy. So what's the point? I skipped over another verse. (laughs) Did you know I was going to do that? Okay, it says, this parable was introduced this way in verse 9. Jesus, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. And then he states his point after the story. He said, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, Jesus, he first used a slice of life, the judge and the widow, to talk about prayer. And here, he talks about prayer in this parable, but it applies to all of life. 
not just the worshipful moments, but the day-to-day ins and outs of daily life. And it might seem like, I don't know, when you hear that verse, have you heard that verse, who exalts himself will be humbled and humbles themselves will be exalted? Which part do you focus on? Do you take that pessimistically or optimistically? You know, sounds like it could be judgment, but it's also grace. It's mercy. The Pharisee had the same opportunity as the tax collector to have some self-evaluation. He could have used that prayer time to say, check in. How am I doing? The Pharisee could even go before God. He could rejoice in those victories. Like, God, I fasted. Like, that was, that's hard to do. I bet God's like, that's cool. Just stop there. Great. Keep going. Don't, like, side-eye your neighbor and compare yourself, because that was where he went wrong. The problem was that his eyes began to wander. So I just think that he needs some blinkers, a.k.a. blinders. I'm from Kentucky. You guys know what these are? I got a cute picture of a horse. He's kind of scary looking, actually, but I wanted you to see the visuals. Have you ever seen a racehorse wear these so that they won't get distracted, right? Don't look left, don't look right. Focus on your race. And so I just think that's what the Pharisee needed here, right? Like he, his prayers were bleeding into other things. And God's like, stay in your lane. We got this. You run your race. And guess what? That tax collector has the chance to get up and start running again. No matter where he's already fallen. But the thing was, The the first parable was about a judge who knew he wasn't righteous. But this is about a Pharisee who thought he was. And Jesus is like, just, you're not not everything you think you are. We're all capable of being righteous, and we are all capable of being compassionate, and we're all capable of messing it up. And we do. So, Both of these scenarios, as honest as the woman was to go and cry out for justice, that's as honest as Jesus wants us to be, like the tax collector calling out for mercy. We cry out for justice, and we cry out for mercy, and God knows we need both. Funny thing is, when you read it, When you read this parable, I don't know about you, I'm like, you know, you even heard the voices I used. I mean, come on, like, the Pharisee, right? And I'm like, I'm better than that guy. And whoop, as soon as I have that thought, I become the Pharisee. Okay, I have one more short story, modern short story to tell you about. In fact, I was working on this sermon when I came across it, and it was published in the New Yorker. I don't read it regularly. Somebody had a link. It's okay. I'm not that cool. Um, Two of the characters in the story are a mom and a daughter, and they are adults now. They have immigrated from China, and the adult daughter has written a short story. It's like meta. She's like writing a short story about a short story. And then the immigrant experience she observed from her mom, who came over to the States first. And when she was a child, her mom was a nanny, and so she writes this story from her point of view about this interaction and this, this horrible thing that happened to her mom, and she shows her mom, and she's very proud of, like, look, mom, I told your story. And then the mom reads it and is like, why are you saying this? Like, it wasn't that bad. Because her mom was like, nope, nobody needs to know that. Nobody needs to know my experience. And the mom 
reading the story, flashes back to when the adult daughter was just a tiny little girl. And she says this, when my daughter first came to the state, she would insist that I tell her a bedtime story every night before sleep. This was a tradition her grandma established when she lived in China without me. So I tried to make up stories, simple fables with a moral lesson, except when I got to the end, my mind would go blank. What's the lesson supposed to be? I would always lose track, thinking she'd be asleep long before the story finished. But she would wait for the conclusion, and if it didn't satisfy her, she would ask a lot of questions. She wanted the story to make sense at a time when my own life didn't make any sense. Shortly after, I began taking her to the library. I would read her picture books instead, and that solved my problem with coming up with endings. It was within this narrative, the mom and the daughter are each trying to tell their story, and one wants to paint it positively, and one wants to be honest about it, and they tell the story to each other, and they don't always see eye to eye, and they try to retell the story to their own minds. To be like, what did we come here for? What did we do? In Jesus' stories today, people talk to one another. We can read it and talk to ourselves. Like, what, what are the stories we're telling as followers of Jesus? To the world? To each other? Or to our own minds? Like, things are hard. It doesn't always make sense to our, us. So how can we tell it to others? And that just makes me think that every week when we ask this question and we looked and we're like, what, how are we grappling? On this journey, how do we live as the redeemed people of Jesus? Today's parables just remind me to have the courage to pray honest prayers. Pray honestly. Whether we're going before God and speaking up in matters of injustice, we can courageously confess like the tax collector where we've fallen short and we can know that either time we're going before a God who loves us and we can trust our honest stories with him. We can show him where we're frustrated. There's so many psalms in the book of psalms that you can read about. There's people crying out to God angry. You know, Job. It's like, why is this happening to me? There's so many prayers we can read about in the Old Testament and Jesus is like, yes. You can go before God and honestly say, this isn't satisfactory. We are given permission. But he's like, also just go to God when you haven't been satisfactory yourself. Have that honest relationship. We can have that with each other as well. It's hard to do that alone. It's hard to be courageous and honest all the time on our own. But we're not on the journey by ourselves. We don't have to picture ourselves individually at the temple praying, but realize there's a, there's a crowd of believers around us. That we get to journey together as a community, as a family of believers. We can pray for one another and help each other find the words in our stories. I'm going to say this now because the timing feels right, but in the pew there's little cards that we put in. There's some weeks that you might feel like, I can't speak aloud, but I need somebody to know something that I'm honestly struggling with. Or some praise that I can't tell anyone else yet, but I want you to know. You can write it down. You can drop it in the back, and, and the staff will lift you up during the week. You don't have to say anything to anyone else. 
And also, we have people who care about lifting others up. And Sam, if you would wave over there by the, by the computer, Sam's going to be in the back afterward today. She feels it on her heart to, she loves praying with people. If you're prayed for by Sam, you feel lifted up. I tell you that personally. So if you have anything today, she's going to be in the back afterward. See a friend. Pray with a friend. You know what? That Our prayer for justice and mercy, it combined on the cross, right? Why did Jesus come? To bring justice for us. To fulfill the law that was required. But he also brought mercy, rescuing us from what we deserve. We celebrate that every week and we take communion. We remember by eating bread and drinking juice and remembering the story. It's just these visual, tasty moments to remember Jesus' story and how it intersects with our lives, why he came. So I'm going to pray, and then when you feel ready, if you want to participate in that interactive story, come down, take some communion back to your seat, and just think about Jesus' story in your life. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for being a storyteller, for getting our attention in, in these small little moments where we dip in and dip out and find a lesson while we're there. But we thank you for giving us concrete pictures of abstract things. When our heart aches because things don't feel right in this world, we can, we can tell you about it. When we know we haven't been right, we can tell you about that too. We thank you for your justice and your mercy. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.